Welcome to Room to Grow with your ally, Chad, a podcast where a white privileged male, me, invites people to teach him as much as they can about the sensitive subjects that are prominent in today's society, such as racism, women's rights, addiction, and mental health. This podcast is for open-minded people who want the information that is out there but don't know where to look. My name is Chad Morris. Join me and let's learn and grow together. Hello and welcome to Room to Grow with your ally, Chad. This week we are joined by Danielle Marshall. Danielle is an inclusive leader focused on strengthening collaboration in organizations to foster creative solutions and improve culture. She finds inspiration in leading systemic change work that promotes equity and inclusion. Daniel founded Culture Principles in response to a persistent need to move organizations beyond DEI statements to develop strategic and actionable equity goals. Welcome, Daniel. How, uh, Danielle, how are you? Hi, Chad. I'm, I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, I'm very, I'm very glad to have you. So, uh, so that's 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 a, a mouthful of, of stuff. It seems like you you do quite a lot. Uh, uh, definitely focusing on a lot of different areas. Yes. Yes. Well, that's that's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about um, how that started. When when did you start doing this? What was your kind of inspiration? Sure. So you know, I'll I'll speak about this because I I think I've been doing this work for longer than I realized there was a a title for it, if you will. So I come originally from the nonprofit sector. And I spent about 20 years working in nonprofits and I worked around the country, uh, everywhere from New York to Louisiana to uh, DC, Baltimore, et cetera. And as I was doing this work, I primarily was working with youth serving programs and in communities that were traditionally black and brown communities. And there was a very persistent narrative about who these communities were, uh, what the outcomes were going to be that the children and families could achieve and they, they were not positive narratives by any stretch of the imagination. And so as I'm, I'm working with people, not only am I seeing that this is not true for these communities, but I am also a member of said community myself. And I realized very quickly it was not, in fact, the members of the community that were at a deficit, but it was something about the systems itself. So that's sort of what brought me to the work. Uh, and so again, I had been doing the work for a very long time in terms of trying to change these narratives to address some of the systems. But in 2020, I made a more deliberate uh, shift into this work specifically uh, because I saw that my, my background additionally is uh, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist. And so I was really thinking about this from a strategy standpoint in a, a clearer way where I was hoping to be able to apply strategy and planning so that we would no longer be in this uh, space or cycle, if you will, where people would say we care about these issues, uh, i.e. DEI, we care about diversity, we care about inclusion, we care about equity, uh, but they're actually doing something about it. So if you care about it, what does it mean in practice to implement these things within your organization? Yeah, that's something that um, has been brought up quite a lot in in my podcast is you can put a sign up that says Black Lives Matter, you know, and say that I'm an ally, but what are you actually doing to be an ally? You know, you can't just say that that's what you are. There needs to be 
something that you're doing in order to really to really show that in order to to be more um accepting i guess and and just really you know that's why i'm doing what i'm doing here is that this is kind of my way of showing my allyship is getting the information and when i'm in a conversation with people that we may be talking about a sensitive subject of some sort that i can confidently uh respond and give my two cents because i got it right from the people that may be going through these things if that makes sense so that's that's very important to me so um and so when we were going through the intro uh to introduce you i accidentally said equality instead of equity and you said that that's very very important that i say equity uh can you go through that a little bit and let me know what the difference was and why you were so adamant about making sure that I said it correctly. Yes. Um, thank you for actually bringing that up. I appreciate that. So there is a clear delineation between equity and equality. Although people tend to use the words interchangeably, they do not in fact mean the same thing. So if we are thinking about equality, it means that everyone literally is getting the same exact thing. So if there are resources to be had, whether it is money, healthcare, education, that we are all getting exactly the same thing in the same amount, same quantity, et cetera. Uh, when we talk about equity, there's an understanding that people may be in different places in their lives, either because of where they started out early in life, they were born into a particular, uh, let's say, zip code or situation. Uh, maybe they've progressed to their adulthood but they need something different than other people. So I may have a moment where um, I need additional support. Uh, and you can think about this even in terms of a, a work setting. If someone came from a background, and I'll use something like computer technology, where they have been exposed to computers their entire life, they grew up playing on you know, social media, so forth, uh, and they may not need a training class to teach them how to do the basics, uh, you know, operating, Word, Excel, et cetera, but you may have someone else who comes along who has not been exposed to computers at that same level, and they need additional support in terms of here is how Excel functions, here are the basic commands you need to understand, et cetera. And so from an equity standpoint, we would be giving them an opportunity to participate in that training because there's a need that they specifically have where equality, we wouldn't put the person who has exposure, who has this knowledge already in the same training class because they don't need that. And so when we're talking about equity, it is making sure that resources are allocated in a way that everyone is receiving exactly what they need to be successful. That's really, I've never thought of it. I've never, and my, I didn't realize the the difference, which I really appreciate now, because I mean, more often than not, when I'm talking about these kind of subjects, I use the word equality. I don't use equity. But now that I understand the differences between them, now I find that that equity can be part of my can be part of my everyday vocabulary and be able to use it in in a much more in a better way of understanding what I'm saying. So I really appreciate I'm I'm glad I asked the question. So now now I know. So that's wonderful. What what is the name of your organization that you're using or are you do you work out of like a third party? 
Sure. So uh, back in 2020, I founded my organization, which is called Culture Principles. Um, And it really is thinking about putting culture as sort of a bottom foundational level uh, and layer, if you will, uh, to everything that we do within organizations and our, our business dealings every day. So what kind of organizations are you working with? So I primarily serve nonprofits. Uh, And the reason that I I serve nonprofits is, one, I have a a deep heart and commitment to the work that they do in the community, but I also come from the world of nonprofits. You know, I started working with nonprofits when I was about 18 years old. You know, I was still in college. I was volunteering. And so I literally grew up within that system, if you will. Uh, And so in terms of being able to apply not only the expertise that I have today in the DEI world, it is also a deep commitment, again, to the services and resources that are being provided by the nonprofits every day. I would love to know your process with an organization. How does it start? How do you how do you find these organizations? Do they find you? Is it is it both? And and walk me through some of the actions that you take in order to make a difference. Sure. So I would say it's both. A lot of the organizations I work with come through network connections that I've made over the years. I've worked at a lot of national nonprofits, which meant I have, you know, built over um, over the years a pretty extensive network of people that are in my community. Uh, and so some of it is just simply talking to the people about what their pain points are. So I am not the type of consultant that comes in and says, you know, here's what you specifically need. What I am trying to get at more so is where are you experiencing pain points? What is, you know, when you think about DEI, what are the underlying issues that you're struggling with? It could be as small as, and I shouldn't even say small, it is as simple sometimes as we are really failing to communicate with one another. It might be, uh, you know, we've, we've learned to have these initial conversations about race and gender or, you know, sexual orientation, so forth, but we don't really know what to do with it now that we are talking about it. We need an action plan. And so oftentimes I may be working with people directly on building actionable items that, again, they can implement. So instead of simply have a performative statement that, you know, is I care about diversity, I care about inclusion, that we're actually operationalizing it into our business practices every day so that people are clear on what the expectations are for them. Uh, So, you know, those are some of the things that I do. I also will hold workshops for organizations, uh, but more comprehensive. I do not do uh, one-off uh, workshops, I don't think they necessarily work for people. I'm trying to really understand, again, what those pain points are and customize things so that we are uh, advancing the unique work of that organization. I do have an outline that I follow. Um, and so for me, it's it's my mapping equity uh, outline. And so generally, it starts with a period of discovery. So I'm going into an organization. I'm trying to learn as much about them as I possibly can. I'm reviewing their documents, um, talking to different people, having interviews, uh, surveys, et cetera. So we're really getting at what has been going on and taking place within this organization as it relates to DEI. Um, Beyond that, I also will do some assessments with teams. So I I did not mention this before, but I focus a lot on building cultural competencies with teams. Uh, And so when we're talking about cultural competencies, it is the understanding and awareness of both our own cultures, but then also the cultures uh, that we may work with. 
you know, whether it is literally people that in my case, because I'm working with nonprofits, it might be people that are internal to the organization. It could be stakeholders, meaning clients in the community, uh, vendors, et cetera. So how can I understand also the cultures that each of these folks represent and where there may be differences in how we approach the world. So how are we defining things? And this is actually a pretty big issue for me because I think there is a tendency in this country to very much uh, just focus on the fact that we're all the same, right? We're looking at commonalities on a regular basis uh, when in fact, some things are not held in common. So even you know, I had a conversation the other day, uh, again, about this idea of respect. And people are saying, you know, I, of course everyone wants to be respected. Perhaps uh, that's a starting place, but what does it mean to be respected, right? And so I happened to ask the group that I was with and of 20 people, there were 20 different ideas about what respect means as they defined it. And that's not a problem, but we cannot assume, you know, if I ask you, Chad, what respect is versus what I view as respect, we may not be on the same page. So we have to be very careful about how we use language uh, and at least ask the deeper question to be like, how are you seeing that concept? I know exactly what you mean because, so I remember in my younger 20s, a word that I used quite often when I was talking to, to females is that I would use the word hun. And I thought at the time, very endearing. That's what I thought. And no one ever said anything. And people thought it was, you know, at least a lot of the people I thought, at least, um, thought it was endearing and all of those things. And it made, showed that I cared about them. But this one woman who I probably only had worked with because she was new for maybe a couple of weeks. And she finally stopped me and said, can you stop calling me that? I don't know you that well, and it's not yeah. appropriate. And I went, oh, I said, you are so right. I should not be doing that. And I, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I worked super hard to get it out of my vocabulary. And I still, obviously, if there are certain people that I do know that I feel comfortable doing that because it's, it's, it is endearing for them because of my relationship with them. It's not everybody's relationship. You know, and uh, and and you know, and it's funny. The other day, it happened again. Uh, a few months ago, I was working at a uh, at a place, and I always call everybody bro or buddy and stuff like that. And this guy said, "Please don't call me that." He said, "Like we and we actually became pretty close, but he still didn't like it. It annoyed him, and he said, "Please don't do that." So, it everybody's point of view is is different and so for me i call my best friends broski and all the brosif all of those things but then of course some people are going to to see that differently and and handle it differently take it and receive it differently so yeah yeah absolutely i mean i i think you are talking about language in a case like this where uh, the both both examples that you gave are clearly cases where people were uh, offended by the language and you know and I and I think one thing that might be certainly a positive in terms of how you handled it is if you can hear what the person is saying and just say you know I, I didn't realize that thank thank you for letting me know right so so many times we walk into situations people become super defensive about it like I, I call everybody broski etc um, not realizing that it could be 
having a deeper impact on them, right? We could be talking about it's it's um, especially in the case of um, the woman, but actually in both cases, right? It could be a matter of familiarity. It can be a power play that you're calling people hun, right? And the woman may feel smaller Completely. as a result of that, like. You know, you're you're exerting your privilege over me. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the the case of Broski, I mean, we're talking about gendered language. Not mm-hmm. everyone who is born uh, as a physical male identifies in that way. Mm-hmm. And so you are again exerting potentially power influence over someone who may not want to be referred to that, you know, as that. Mm-hmm. And 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 I've learned that since the second time that it happened to me, I have now and especially because in the last couple of years specifically uh gender identity has been so big and and all of those things i do have a, a, a somebody that i've become very close with within the last year is uh started off as non-binary and now is transitioning and it has been i met them as one gender at the time that they were dealing with but they were not comfortable telling anybody about what they were going through and then they were non-binary and now they are transitioning so it's been very difficult for me to find that but at the same time it's been it's been really wonderful for me because I am learning that those kind of things unless you're close with them and you know who they are and you know what their identity is you know you can uh, try to be a little bit more general when uh, talking with with individuals. So. Sure, you know, and I, I think something else uh, that's important here is when I think about um, this country, we have had for many many years some espoused values around us being a mixed society, right? It is people call it the melting pot. Everybody's sort of mixing in. Um, but it's never fully represented the full body of people in this country. Uh, the The norm has been to default to what is considered the dominant culture. Um, so we might be talking about whiteness, maleness, cisgender, able body, um, Christian, right? So these bigger areas around sort of the dominant culture. And I think what we're seeing today is that people are really wanting to be recognized and valued, right? That's that's also the important thing. It is not mm-hmm. simply about recognizing them, but valuing them for their unique social identities and their cultural groups. And what's happening is, you know, we're seeing a lot of pushback because they're challenging, we are challenging the status quo. Um, but people who say they want to be allies, you know, maybe also experiencing fatigue in this because they don't see themselves as part of the change. And they don't see themselves as part of the system because when the dominant culture is being challenged, and again, it can be anything because in some respects, I'm able-bodied, right? I'm Christian. I still represent dominant culture. And then there are certain parts of my social identity, Blackness, uh, my, my womanhood, that are definitely not dominant culture. And so I may live in you know multiple worlds at a given time. But when we think about this concept of diversity, we're weaponizing the word right now because diversity was always designed to mean all of us. Not some of us, but even the focus on diversity means that we are still considered other. You are not dominant culture. Therefore, I have to find a way to include you. And so if I'm going to be an ally, I need to understand some of the underpinnings of how this all works. I would argue that for us to advance as a society, that we need to create spaces for everyone so that we can collectively benefit from the gifts that we each uniquely bring. 
And so when I think about my perspectives on allyship, they are deeply rooted, again, in cultural competencies or awareness of our own culture, beliefs, and values, and how those might be similar or different from other cultural groups. You know, and, and it's really about being able to value the way different cultures show up, even if how they think or behave is different from our own cultural norms. Um, and so that, that is really important for me because when we think about what those norms are, like they're going to vary given a, you know, a, each group that we talk about, because culture encompasses so much ground, you know, it might be race or ethnicity or gender, sexual orientation, class, religion. But can we see each of these groups as both independent with their own patterns and norms within their culture, but also, and this is important for me, as individual people, right? Because even if you think about your own cultural group, there are some things about your culture you probably deeply align with. And then there, there are other things that you might sit back and say, you know, that doesn't actually work for me. Yeah, that's that, and that's true. Uh... You know, I, I think everybody has seen when when you meet somebody and you may be talking about just your lives and getting to know each other and someone can say, oh, I'm I'm Jewish or something like that. You know, you're instant you're instantly that instantly clicks in and it's almost like it's almost like they gave you a folder and you clicked and dragged it into their name. You know, it, it, that folder says Jewish and you clicked and dragged it on their folder as a subfolder with their name on it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's yeah. very much like that. And that is, I think an important point in its own right, because we have these narratives. Remember I told you, I started off because of the narratives I was hearing about my communities and the community, you know, that I was serving as a nonprofit leader. Um, we really as adults have to examine where our beliefs and values come from, because I, I often share with people, you know, as a child, let's say you're four, you're five years old, what you believe at that time is often a factor of what your parents believe, what your local schools or your, you know, your religious uh, organization, uh, church, et cetera, believes, right? They tell you as a child, here's what we value. And your four and five-year-old self is like, well, that's great. If, if it works for mommy and daddy or grandma, whoever, then it's good for me. Now, fast forward to, you know, you are 20 years old, you are 30, 40, 50, et cetera. One thing that I think we fail to do on a regular basis is to sit back and actually think about where these beliefs and values stem from. Because you're now at a stage where you can really decide for yourself, you know what, this belief that I hold feels like it's core to who I am, right? Like I really fundamentally believe that's part of my culture. It's part of how I think. It's what shaped me. And then there are other beliefs that we hold. And again, they came from our childhood. But if you were to really sit back and think about them, you're like, you know, I don't actually agree with that anymore, right? I have evolved beyond that or I have a different perspective altogether. And so the question is how often are we interrogating those things? I, I laugh a lot when people get married or they move in with one another and there's like this big fight over, let's say, linen towels, right? One person folds them uh, into a perfect little square and the other one's like, no, you have to roll them up. And it's like, well, why do you have to do that? Well, because that's the way I've always done it. And that idea that that's the way that I've always done it continues to get us in trouble because if it is what your parents did or their parents before them, 
and you have not been able to evolve your thinking or yourself on issues, we're kind of stuck in a very repetitive pattern. Mm -hmm. We don't even know why we're behaving in the ways that we are. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I can, I, I see what you're saying. I think, you know, just something as simple as when my wife and I, my, my wife and I have been together since high school. And when we both graduated college, we, uh, we went to separate colleges and, and all that. But when we started living together, I remember the first few Christmases living together was, was very, it was challenging because we all, we both had our, our own way of celebrating and we had our own kind of traditions and stuff like that. And we kind of had to, it took us a little bit of time to kind of merge those traditions together and kind of create our own, as you said, pattern of what we do every year. So, yeah. So you're, you were almost in the process of shaping the culture and the norms within your own household. Yeah. Right. And so I think like that is important because I, one of the questions that we might ask of one another is when someone comes to you with a different way of thinking, a belief that feels counterintuitive to you, it may be an opportunity to lean into curiosity and just ask them like, what about that is important to you? Right. Instead of this, I think initial, we want to jump into, well, you're clearly wrong, right? I have the moral uh, superiority in this case. Of course, people do it this way, right? We, we want to jump in. We want to defend our practice. And I'm not saying that you can't adhere to the practice or norm that you have. However, how are we leaning in with curiosity enough to say, like, I wonder what other perspectives are out there? Yeah, and I think... Even as somebody as I as I find myself to be pretty open minded, but even in certain situations, if I'm caught off guard, like if I'm in like in where we are right now and I said something and you'd been like, OK, well, you know, think of it this way. I'm 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 I feel like I can take that and I can analyze that and I can say, oh, that's an interesting way and and be very open to to receiving whatever info you give to me. But, you know, when I and I pride myself on that, but then sometimes my wife and I might just be having a conversation and she goes, you know, uh, you, you said something that that may, you know, you may want to change your thinking on that and think of it this way. And honestly, if it catches me off guard, I, I do get defensive. And I know yeah. that. And she goes, you're getting defensive. Just take the and she will. She'll she she's very honest about it. She goes, Chad, you're getting defensive. Just take what I said and think about it. And yeah, whatever, you know, and honestly, internally I'm going, ah, she's right. And I'll think about it. And, and it, and I soak it up and stuff like that. I'm, I'm outwardly being like, go get away from me and I'm right. And leave me alone. But internally I am at least, at least saying, Oh, you know, that, is interesting and it's a good way to it's a good a good way of thinking or whatever it might be or i get confused about it and not really sure what she meant and so at some point i will ask more questions yeah. about it when when i'm not mad at her anymore and don't want her to know that she was right <laughs> <laughs> that's funny 
but that you know that's well, just it, being honest you know um again i get to a i'm in a headspace right now where you could p- pretty much say anything and i would be able to soak it up but if you take me by surprise i'm gonna do what any human probably does is yeah to, to that and i i don't think that you are unusual in that way um mm-hmm. i think a lot of us at times you know we are caught off guard something said that's just so far outside of what we were expecting in that moment that we shut down right Mm -hmm. and so shutting down might mean that we are literally walling ourselves off i cannot hear you anymore right i'm I'm avoiding this conversation completely it could be aggression you know i'm i'm yelling or i walk out the room and so there, there are lots of different things that might happen uh, in that moment, but you know, to that end, one of the things that I would do is, is I coach people on like, how do you respond, particularly because I'm talking about race a lot. I'm talking about uh, gender conversations and things that make people terribly uncomfortable as a, as a norm here. Uh, it's, it's understanding what triggers you, right? Mm-hmm. Can we preemptively think about it? When conversations about X come up, I feel myself shutting down, right? I have a tendency to maybe avoid or I get argumentative and defensive, right? Like if I could understand that about myself and you said you had some awareness of that, like upfront, it then gives me an opportunity, should I care to, to think about what strategies I might employ when I am faced with that, right? So if you can almost imagine the situation in your mind and say, I know that I'm going to get argumentative. One strategy I might use in that moment is to say, whether it is your wife or colleague or anyone for that matter, you know what, you're, you're sharing a lot of information with me. Um, and I believe that there's something of, you know, of value that you're offering to me, but I'm just not in a good space to hear this right now. Like, can we, can we find 10 minutes, an hour later to talk about this? I just, I need to clear my head for a second so that I'm ready to receive what you're offering, right? Yeah. How can... You know, how can I de-escalate the situation, but still honor the person without just being dismissive? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that works in disagreements that my wife and I will have at times if we're in a disagreement about something, you know, nothing about what we're talking about now, but, but we're having a conversation and we both are starting to respond in maybe not a good way. We'll, we'll kind of pause it. You know, whether that means that we'll just put on a movie or even just get in separate rooms or both go to bed and, you know, she goes to work and it gives me opportunity to kind of soak up what happened and be able to say, okay, this is how I want to respond. This is what I want to say. And my wife, before many, you know, quite a few years ago, she needed to have the conversation right away. And it would push me into getting more frustrated and more angry. <laughs> and so what would happen was, is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to respond. And then we end up getting in a bigger fight, but now she understands that I need time to process. I need time to kind yeah. of give myself some time and maybe, and talk about it the next day as adults. I don't want, I don't want to say anything that I would regret and I will when I'm angry. So yeah. give me that 24 hours and then you can have a good conversation. Yeah. I liken that a lot to even the work that I'm doing. Like I will start a lot of my sessions, most of my sessions with groups, with group agreements, right? They are agreements of how we wish to sit in community together. Um, And if you will, they're also boundaries. So if we get to a space where 
you know, things get tense, maybe we're calling for a pause, right? The group can decide what the rules are for themselves. I offer a few, uh, but generally I also let them decide, like, this is what community means for us. And here are the boundaries and parameters that we want to respect. And so if we're getting to a place where there's a lot of tension, perhaps someone in the group has been assigned to call for a pause. We're going to just take a 10 minute break. Now, do you ever get in a, in a situation where people may feel like they're on display? Now, let me give you an example. I know a teacher who once a year or however long it may be um, has to talk about slavery and racism and stuff like that. And more often than not, she she does live in a in a primarily white town. But uh, this year she had uh, two uh, uh, black girls in her class and they were talking about it. They were watching a video and stuff like that. And the two girls got very, very upset after they watched like a, I think, I don't know if it was like a cartoon or something, but it had, you know, it dealt with, with the subject matter of which uh, this teacher had to deal with. And that that teacher felt very bad that they felt like they must be on display you know and uh the other students didn't really understand what was going on and all of that kind of stuff and the teacher didn't know how to handle it do they get in a circle and they talk about it and say you know this is what's going on or you know, do they put that person, do they put those two black kids on display and, and do that? Or do they move on and ignore it? But then, you know, you can't ignore it. It's, do you know what I'm saying? Like, that seems like a very <laughs> difficult situation to be in. Yeah. I, what I will start off by saying is that there is not a singular right answer to this, right? It is, mm -hmm. it is very contextual. It is based on the individuals. It's based on pre-conversations you've had about how we're going to approach this topic. Um, but one thing that I would say abundantly clear here is that people of color are not teachers for white people. Our trauma, our you know, experiences are not designed to be on display for other people's amusement, fascination, any of those things. And so in, in cases like that, where people of color are asking to, you know, I don't want to discuss this. I am not going to share. Like I personally have a rule about that in my own world. When I come on and I do podcasts or trainings, et cetera, um, I have experienced microaggressions all my life. I probably will go out tonight and experience another one for that matter. But here's the thing. It is not for your public consumption. If I choose to share it with you, it means that it's something that I've decided is within the boundaries that I've created for myself. When people ask you to explain, so like what does slavery, and I, I do remember, I will share this with you because this happened when I was a, a, a child, but it's very related to what you're sharing here, is that I had, I was one of like, I think maybe two black kids in my entire class and almost in my school. I remember we covered a chapter on slavery and someone will say, well, what, what do you think about this as a black person? I didn't even know what to say. Like, I, I think this was third, fourth grade. Like, I, I'm pissed off. I'm disgusted. But like, I don't even have the words to formulate what I actually think. And in my heart, it's breaking over the topic. And yet you want me to tell you on behalf of all black people everywhere what we think collectively? I'm not in a position to do that. And so, you know, not only am I not in a position to do that, I have no desire to be on 
display for you. And so I hear what the, you know, the young ladies were experiencing in the class and what the teacher is saying, and, you know, this was really uncomfortable, but I think the understanding has to be established up front. We're not there to teach you. Go read a book, watch a documentary, listen to a podcast, like whatever it is that you need to talk amongst yourselves, if you will. Now, there are people, as in my case, this is what I do for a living, right? And so I am teaching people about this, and that includes white people, but even still, my personal trauma isn't for your consumption. And so I have to establish when and where I will dive into certain areas of my life. With that, I did. I, I had a question. So we had talked, we were talking earlier about certain conversations being difficult for some people and, and all the kind of stuff. For you specifically, what, what conversation makes you uncomfortable? I think I thrive off of a difficult conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I might not okay, be the but best what, person Even for if that. you thrive <laughs> off of it, what, you know, is there one that's yep. just, uh, or maybe you don't feel, do you feel maybe unversed in certain ones or, mm. you know, or just say, I don't know if I feel like I have enough information to given, uh, to be giving any kind of. Yeah, there for sure. Um, First, I would say I have no problem saying I don't know. You know, like that's Good. a great question. Why don't we find out together? Right. Or I have a colleague, and that's one thing that I have specialized in. So I will talk about a specific community. Um, one community right now that I am learning a lot about myself is the trans community. That is not something that I grew up really understanding. I didn't have anyone personally connected to. Um, who was transgender, uh, you know, as a child or young adult. And so now I actually have quite a few colleagues and friends um, who are trans. Uh, and so they have been wonderful in, in just opening themselves up as, you know, we're talking and living our lives in general. We're sharing about, you know, all of our aspects of our worlds and social identities. But when it comes to the work that I do, I will be the first person to say, I will bring in another expert on this topic. This isn't mine to talk about. Right? Like I want to be supportive of the community, but I also realize I, in order to be of support, and this is a big piece with allyship, to be the best ally that one can be, you have to understand what is happening within that community and specifically what that community desires of you. What act can I do that's going to be in support of them? And so if I am supporting in the way that feels right for Danielle, it does not mean I'm an ally because I may not be uplifting the causes that matter to the community. And so I want to be really thoughtful about that. Okay. Well, so something that I, that I'm thinking about right now is that the conversation of allyship comes up quite often. And one of the things that, as we had already said a while ago, is that putting up the sign is not enough. You need to have, you know, there needs to be, you, you need to be able to tailor it for, for each person. And, and that's where we're kind of getting at now is that there are communities that need different things. They, you know, we, we use the word equity here. The problem is, is that we keep, I, I keep getting into these conversations, but then at the end of it, I realize I don't know what I can be doing. We actually haven't gotten 
any yeah. any actual examples of what I can be doing other than what I'm doing here. We say we need to do more. We need to do more. We need to do more. And then I go, OK, but I leave the conversation. I go, but they didn't tell me what I could do. Yeah. You know? So I, I love that you just admitted that, that you don't know, right? Like, I think that's the first step. I don't have the answer because one of the things that I would say is if I am working on being an ally, I am curious. That means I am asking people about their experiences, like, and it not in a transactional way where it's like, you tell me this thing because I want to know it from you. But as we are building relationships, as we're sitting in community together, you know, like this was my experience growing up. This is how I have dealt with this thing. What has your experience been like? Right. So we are in community as opposed to, hey, Danielle, tell me your experience as a black woman. Right. I am also curious about what areas do you need support in? There has been this huge push um, in recent years to do land acknowledgements. Uh, and so a land acknowledgement is, it can be a statement, it can be a poem, it can be a number of different things that, that come up when you are gathering either for an event, a meeting, et cetera, to acknowledge the tribal land on which the event is being held. But people often don't go a step further. So they'll recognize the tribe. They'll say, you know, I, you know, I live in just outside of uh, Baltimore. So I could say I'm, I'm representing the occupied lands of the Piscatawa tribe. But it doesn't mean anything if I don't go a further step to understand what their needs are as a tribal community. You know, are, you, are they asking for us to further educate ourselves um, on current issues within the community? Are they petitioning for treaties to be upheld? Um, are they asking for support in land buyback programs, right? There's a number of things that could be true for any given community. How am I standing in support of the issues that matter to that group, right? If I'm saying that I am trying to be an ally to them, um, allies are people that really can listen and believe, number one, the experiences that other people that are different from them are having, regardless of whether that is true for them or not. But then they're actually going to show up and do something about, you know, with that knowledge that they've, they've gained. Um, and so if you, you know, you brought up this idea of like the Black Lives Matter posters and everybody had them in their yard. And, you know, I, I look at them and I, you know, I'm walking my dog and I'm like, well, that's nice that you think my life matters. I appreciate it. About time. Um, you know, like that's my general reaction. But I don't need you to hang a sign in my yard. You know, and again, I do not speak for all black people, but for me, I would say I need your support in my community. I need you to examine, number one, your biased thinking for yourself and in your home. I need you to buy from black owned businesses. I need you to vote in ways that actually uplift my community, that uplift the community as a whole. Right. So your signage doesn't mean a damn thing to me at the end of the day. If when it matters, I can't count on you. That helped. So thank you. Just the way that you, that, because I, again, I've had this conversation a few times, but I think the way that you put it to me makes me have a better understanding of what I can do. So I appreciate that. I'm glad that, that we got to talk about that. So I think we're, we're almost at the hour mark. I feel like I could specifically talk to you for like another couple of hours. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. And if there uh, is anything else you want to discuss, you are welcome back anytime. I really, really appreciated this. Um, and I, I hope you feel the same. And I hope that you will come back and that you'll keep in contact with me. 
Uh, is there, but before, before we go, is there anything else, maybe something that was in the back of your mind that we didn't discuss or anything like that, anything that you want to leave the, uh, the, the listeners with and, or, uh, one of the things I like people to do is maybe do a little bit of a plug. And what I mean by that is, uh, is there a TED talk or a book or something like that, that people can go to that may be uh, really beneficial for them if they want more information based off of what we talked about. And uh, if people are interested in collaborating with you, where can we find you? So those are all my questions. Sure. <laughs> you know, I, I think as a takeaway, the one thing that just occurs to me is that this is an opportunity for all of us. And I do mean all of us to examine where our own personal beliefs and values stem from, to like really sit with that. Um, and whether that is going back to family members, um, your community leaders, et cetera, and just saying like, where does this thing that we've, we've always talked about, this tradition that we hold, this belief we hold, where does it come from? And really do some processing because when you start to think about those things, sometimes they're out of alignment with the person you wish to be today, but you're holding on to this thing because it simply always existed. And so I, I would encourage people um, to do that. For folks who are business leaders who might be listening um, and or looking to even on a personal level to deepen their understanding of racial equity and explore how they personally relate to cultural differences, uh, my, my business partner and I are offering a, uh, a learning intensive called Reimagining Racial Equity. Um, and we've done several cohorts already. We're getting ready to launch our next cohort in January. So it'll be January 17th through March 7th. So it's eight weeks uh, where it is a group learning opportunity. And people can register if they're interested at my website, which is uh, www.culture-principles. And that is principles, uh, P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-S.com. Uh, so yeah, those, those are the things that I want to share. I mean, this has been uh, an, an interesting conversation. I always love to dive in, never know where conversations like this are going to lead. But um, you know, these are things I think that would be important for people to consider. Um, and if folks are interested in reading more about the topic, uh, there are a couple of books I would recommend. Um, Beyond Allyship is one, um, The Allyship Challenge, and the I've other is The Allyship in Action. Yeah. I've so, heard the you know, Allyship Challenge. Three. I feel like I, I've heard it a few times. I feel like I should probably take a look at that. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's just an opportunity, again, to expand how we're thinking about things. And, and here's the one last thing. Actually, this is my closing point now. Okay. When it comes to culture, there's so much emphasis on what we have to do. I have to learn about this other group. I have to learn how to use pronouns correctly. I have to be more respectful of women, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it is a mindset shift that we need because instead of saying, I have to do these things, how about we start thinking about it as I get to? And with that, and with that, we end. I think that was a wonderful way to end it. Well, thank you again, Danielle, so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this uh, very special interview. I hope to see you all next week. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, please email me at roomtogrowwithchad at gmail.com. See you next week.
If you have any comments, concerns, or even something you want to educate me on, please email me at roomtogrowwithchad at gmail.com. Thanks for growing with me. See you when I see you. This podcast was edited by Eddie, a software program you can find online at www.edittedy.com.